Explore the rich history of the Open like never before with our interactive timeline celebrating the journey. Visit thejourney.theopen.com and immerse yourself in golf's original championship. You're listening to The Open Podcasts. Hello again, everyone. I'm Peter Finch, and this is my Open Qualifying Journey. Last episode, we looked at the history and venues for Open Qualifying. This week, we'll be speaking with two great characters who arguably have two of the best qualifying stories going. One of which occurred at St. Andrews, the venue for this year's historic 150th Open. And producer Chris, who joins me now, you actually live in St. Andrews. Hey Pete, I do indeed, yes. Very fortunate to, to live here. It's probably, you know, up there with one of my favorite places on planet Earth. So I am extremely jealous that you get to live up there. How many times have you played the old? Uh, I played the old a couple of times, played um, the other courses there a few more times as well. Uh, yeah. And then used, you say Andrews as a base a few times as well, like just to go around the local area, yeah. even if I don't even if I really didn't need to. So, <laughs> you know, being up there, it's such a, it's such an amazing place. It's very rare that you have, you know, such a town connected with a golf course. You know, with golf course literally finishing in the town, which is, you know, very, very rare. And they just make such an extraordinary setting for for the Open. What's, what's your thoughts on the Open this year? What, what are you expecting? Um, in terms of, I suppose, the whole experience as well as what the course can offer? I don't know because with it being the 150th Open and, you know, I've said, I said this before, it is, it's just a number, you know, it doesn't, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't mean anything. But at the same time, it just seems to mean so much and it's such like this landmark occasion that pretty much everybody I know in golf is going to be there. You know, yeah. there's a record, there's a record number of tickets been sold. There's a record number of spectators going to be there. And hopefully, you know, we get a record-breaking open in whatever guise that is. I think so much so much does depend on the weather. Um, if you do get it dried out and it's flat calm, you know, these guys can really, really go low around there. But if you do get a wind whipping across... And you do get those greens running a little bit quicker. It's like it's a completely different golf course. It could be a completely different golf course from day to day, from morning to afternoon. Yeah. So if we do get some changeable elements, then yeah, could be could be for some fun scores. It's my favourite golf course, and they say that about St Andrews and the old course that you know it takes like ten goes to to really. The famous quote is, you've got to play it 10 times to, to love it. And anyone who says that they love it before that was lying. <laughs> it's one of those courses that, you know, you really do need to get to know. But once you see the subtleties of it and every hole starts to stand out more in your mind, I find, every time you play it. Because maybe the first times you play it, there's, there's holes that aren't particularly memorable. But then after a few times you've played it, all of a sudden everything's imprinted in your mind more so than other courses that have perhaps more signature holes. It's just the subtleties are so wonderful and it plays so differently depending on pins, depending on wind. Like you say, and if, if they put the pins in tricky spots for the open, it really, it looks extremely difficult to score um, if, they, if the weather is not favourable. So I'm looking forward to it. Last time I went to an open at St. Andrews, the one that Zach Johnson won, you know, the, the conditions really did play a part. Uh, that year with the rain sweeping in. So as long as that stays away, <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> oh, how good would it be to have just a beautiful summer, a burnt out, sunny, really warm open? That would be wonderful. Yeah, that's what that's what I want. So if you could if you could get that organised, Chris. Sure, no worries, Pete. I'll, I'll I'll see what I can do and I'll get back to you. That's very kind of you. Thank you. So let's have a chat with someone who has actually qualified for an Open at St. Andrews. He also featured on our podcast last year and captured the hearts and the minds 
of the Open's audience is none other than Stephen Bottomley. So we are joined on the podcast by Steve Bottomley, the man, the myth and the Open legend. We've also got Chris Lewis from the RNA on the line as well. Steve, welcome down, buddy. How are you, mate? Very well, Peter. Thank you. Very well indeed. Yourself? I am not too bad. Where do we find you in the world? Where are you? I'm at home in uh, Yorkshire, um, near Haworth. Oh, um, I've just returned from a trip to taking clients to the Masters, which was quite eventful. And I'm now uh, here relaxing on this lovely podcast. Wow. From God's golf course back to God's country, eh? Correct. Correct. It was a beautiful trip, but I'm glad it's over. Well, cha- chaperoning people around the Masters is not as fun as it looks. Uh, no, due to the fact that it was rolled over uh, last two years due to the pandemic. So I took people and the cost of everything went up. But uh, hey-ho, such is life. I set the company up 10 years ago and uh, I quite enjoy it when it's... Uh, I'm getting, I'm getting used to it now. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to next year. I think what we'll do is we'll delve into a little bit of the past, even talk about some of your open qualifying experiences. And I'm right in saying that you first qualified in 1987? Yes, correct. Uh, now, do forgive me, but I've got to dig deep in my memory bank because it is a long time ago, uh, as we can all appreciate. Uh, I qualified as an amateur when the Open was at Muirfield, the year that uh, Faldo made his famous 18 pass to win yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I qualified at a... Co- this is what I do remember because it was the first time I qualified. I qualified at North Berwick. Lovely. Uh, yeah, and I managed to qualify without having to go in a playoff, which I've done before in my other Opens that I've played in. I was going to say, qualifying, like, amateurs getting through open qualifying now is not not that common. I can't imagine it was that common back in 1987 as well. Uh, no, it wasn't, it wasn't that common, no. Not not really. But like I keep saying, I can't really remember. I didn't document how many amateurs got through and how many <laughs> You didn't think you a comprehensive list there, by it. Well, that is... Just, that, uh, no, no, that, that is, no. I'm not... Uh, no, my memory bank doesn't go back that far. <laughs> <laughs> that is a real shame. Can you recall anything from that Open, though? I mean, that, that must have been a pretty crazy experience for an amateur getting into the Open and being on that world today. Yes, I, I can, actually. I can, because when I qualified, it was quite, you know, it's quite it was quite uh, an achievement for an amateur to get through. Mm. So I'm teeing off. When, you, uh, when you're when you an amateur, you get the, uh, you, you know, you get the worst draw. So I'm out at 10 past eight. The weather was horrendous. The clouds, I could feel like I could touch them. The, and it was misty, it was drizzly, it was an awful first day. I thought, oh, ten past eight. We'll get away with a few spectators on the first. The first hole at Murrayfield from memory, I do know this. You can check this out. It's 464 yards. The fairway was 18 yards wide. This, the first cut was about three inches, and then it went to about knee high. And it's a little dog leg right. Ten past eight, I thought, get away with a few spectators. You walk from the putting green under the stands there, and all the stands are well, under the tunnel, under the first tee, and the stands were full. Adrenaline went brown, 2,000 people, 10 past eight, brollies up, you could hear a pin drop. Well, I thought, mm, I couldn't see the fairway. I was like, how am I going to make contact with this ball? And I managed <laughs> to hit it with the persimmon driver you had back in, an Olimar driver I had. I hit it about 35 yards in the, in the heavy stuff. Hat found it, some guy found it, I hacked it about 20 yards, I got it on the ferry and I managed it, I was very happy to make a double bogey on the first, very happy. I mean, I got, at, at that point, like literally just finding that ball in the heavy rough must have been such a relief, Get w- walking back to the team would have been the worst thing in the world <laughs> at that point, oh my word, I, yeah, I'd, I'd have been skipping off with the double. After yes. not, lo- after not losing it. I was smiling with a double. Smiling. Oh, wow. That's amazing. That must have been so, so crazy. I mean, was that a, was that a point of big celebration for you, that qualifying? Were you turning pro pretty much straight after that? I turned pro the and that year. That year, yeah, I, I went to Fox Hills and went to Le Mans, got my card, and the rest is history. Just kept going to... I went to tour school seven times and then just kept going. Hey, listen, it, Le Mans is a very nice place. Like, why wouldn't you want to keep going back there? Well, it's a very nice place if you're on holiday. It's not a very nice place if you're trying to qualify to, to, to carry on your career. <laughs> I mean, managing to get through tour school so many times, and obviously not pleasant at the time, but it certainly seemed to prepare you for these qualifying competitions as we fast forward to 1995. And were you exempt into final stage in 1995? 
Uh, no, I wasn't. No, I was exempt through because I was. I had my talk out then, so I was exempt through the regional. I just went straight to the the final stages, which was at Ladybank. Ladybank. Oh, I played there not too long ago, actually. Love that place. Yeah. Mentioned that in my podcast with Chris actually earlier when I did it for a couple of years ago. Well, you were on the range, weren't you, the the night before with correct. very very little form to speak of? Is that fair to say? Correct. Correct. I was uh, I was going into that open playing terrible. I'd won about. On the tour, I'd run about £16,500. I played about 15 tournaments. So going to Ladybank, I had no form whatsoever. And I shot one over in the first round of the Open Qualifying at Ladybank. Went on the practice ground at uh, the, the home where Ken Schofield, who was the boss of the European Tour, a friend of mine was the steward there uh, at Creef. So I went on the practice ground the night before with my caddy, Joe, and uh, I, I basically found a swing. I said to Joe, all we've got to do now to catch up to everybody else is birdie the first three holes, hang on, make a couple more birdies, and I think that might get us through or in a playoff. And I was absolutely spot on. And you're not going to believe what happened. I birdied the first, I knocked it on the second in two, I birdied the third, so I'm now two under par. I've made a lot of pars up and down. The swing felt great. I made two more birdies, got in a playoff. There was nine of us for eight spots. And I, I was out with the first group, me, Darren Clark, Peter Senior from memory, and I hit three iron, airbailed the green with a wedge, hacked it to f 10 foot and hold it. And then the next group all made pars. And then the last group, somebody made a bogey and we were all in. Oh, oh one guy making a bogey. Oh, no. On that first. And the rest is history. So I took that swing to the open and whatever. I won't bother. You've heard all that story. Uh, this, I, Steve, this is all this is all very much new for me. So you, you took that swing that you found, The Secret, um, I'm sure the best-selling book is going to be coming soon, <laughs> um, rolled into St. Andrews off the back of that. And, I mean, this was the first Open that you played in after being an amateur then. So this was your first yes. professional Open. Yes. Wow, at the home of golf. And, I mean, expectation. I've, I've not played St. Andrews before, ever. You'd never played it before? No, I'd never played it. For whatever reason, I don't know why, I just never got around to playing it. There was never any amateur tournaments that I entered. There was never any pro events. There was no, I didn't get any, any opens. So I went there, not, you know, I'd obviously seen it many times on the TV, but I'd not actually stood on terra firma at eye level and know where the 107 bunkers are. And, you know, and it was very, very windy. So all I did basically was just concentrate on my swing. The the tournament was irrelevant. I was just I was just playing another tournament, and it just happened to be the open. That's amazing. <laughs> That's so cool. Well, at least on that first tee shot, you shouldn't have been afraid about finding any rough. That's no, I was pretty. I was all right then. I was. <laughs> <laughs> I was all right then. <laughs> it was a bit different to the first at Muirford. Let me tell yeah, you. Yeah, I was going to say if you don't. If you don't manage to find the fairway at the first at St Andrews, there's bigger problems uh, going on there. Uh, really got to start worrying. So that's amazing. So we've gone straight from open qualifying, rolled into St Andrews, a course that you've never played before. No expectations going in there at all. Nothing. And then, I mean, as as far as as far as I'm aware, on those first three rounds played okay, but it was it was the fourth round that kind of really catapulted you up the leaderboard, wasn't it? Well, to be honest, you know, I, I was just feeling my way in. I played two practice rounds, and then the first the first round was was settled me down because I think from I can't remember what I did. I should know this. I think I shot par, par. Then I shot two under. Now this this swing thought that I'd got it was beginning to feel quite comfortable, and I was it was sort of I was hitting shots that were actually what I was visualizing was actually happening, and I thought, wow. <laughs> and then my confidence grew, and then I started putting well. And I thought, oh, dear, this is getting good, this. <laughs> the, the holes began to look bigger from six foot. It just it just amazingly went, oh, this is going in before I'd hit it. I hardly missed a putt from, in the last two rounds, I hardly missed a four-footer. And the greens were proper slick. They get really slick, you know, with the around the hole at St. Mm. Andrews. Chris will tell you that. I mean, with, when it's windy and sunny and, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, so the last round was, yeah. Well, Steve, I mean, you mentioned your putting. We've got some clips here, actually, that we can uh, we can yes. show you, Pete. I'm not yes. sure if you've seen these either. No, I am not. But, I'm just um, myself in. I, I want to see these bucket-sized holes at St. Andrews. <laughs> I've never seen them like this before. <laughs> oh, in the final round, your putting, Steve, it was unbelievable, wasn't it? 
Well, I, I, you know, and you got to remember, it's blowing 35, 40 miles an hour. Steep bottom, you know, just in front of the seventh, coming up that steep bank and down again. He's after it. Judged it beautifully. Come on. Well, look at that. That is wonderful judgment. And you can see how delighted he is. Unfamiliar territory for Stephen. And sticking it really well. You know it's good when you fist bump in a lag pot. About ten foot or borrow up that up that slope, as you know the hole, Chris. Yeah. Oh, the ninth. Now this is awesome. Around that hole was so slippery and shiny. Out to the ninth, Steve Bottomley at the ninth. His chance of a birdie. This was recorded. <laughs> oh, he's, he's having his day. This thirty-year-old Yorkshireman. One drop shot. Three birdies out in thirty-four and. Absolutely delighted. Steve, did you just hop? Was that a hop? Did you just hop? Well, you know, it's quite strange because about, sort of my half cousin, I didn't know this. She was she was um doing photography at university and she took one of her special cameras out with her. I didn't know this, and she's got me in the air when I hold that. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Yeah, that's this is when it starts to get serious, isn't it? This is 15, this. You need, you, need, you need to listen to this. This is hilarious. Oh, this is so good. This is brilliant. Have you never heard this? No, this, this is fantastic. Famous argument, stroke. Everyone says it was an argument. Me and Joe, we didn't argue. We had heated discussions, I called them. What has happened to this young fellow? Stephen Bottomley. On the win with the five iron, eh? Yeah. Eh? Steve, it's too much of wind across here. Steve, the wind is here. It's right on me back over there now. So I'm telling you, it's more like a seven iron smooth six. So middle of the middle of the fifteenth fairway. Seven iron smooth six. It, the, the wind is kind of hidden there. You can't really feel it, but I know it's up there. He's looking at the wrong hole. We're both looking in different directions here. He's still looking right for seven. He wanted a five. Just put a normal swing on. Normal swing. That's the one that's got me where I am today. Got the wind right here. It's bob on here. I hate to say it. Well, it's funny, the caddy seems to be looking for a different flag. No, I think it's not. Just the wind, Steve, just the wind. Please give me a five, eh? What are you doing? Just the wind, Steve, look at it. This is all sheltering you. Well, this is one of his best friends, and known his game, caddying for him off and on for ever since he started to play professional golf. It'll be interesting to see who's right here. I hope, it, I hope it's the player for the caddy's sake. Brilliant. Love it. I suppose that in, in that kind of moment, though, you, you need that, don't you? You need your caddy to be like, no, this this is what you're in. I suppose it clears the mind a bit, doesn't it? Look, I'm, I'm still not comfortable. I, still <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was it. I thought, I thought we were done. I thought you were good. I'm going, in a minute, I'm going to grab it off him. Hit the six. Pretty good. I think if they went in between the five and the seven, they got it just about right. Stephen's sort of grimacing there, but I'd say that's fine. The next, the next shot's even better. Bottomley at the fifteenth, four under. Get this at the end. It's laughable. Oh wow, that's coming in sideways. Oh. <laughs> come around, come around. He hasn't done it again, has he? He's done it again. So we're obviously playing well. I mean, we're obviously striking the ball better than you could have expected going in. We're stood on the 18th. Kind of talk us through. Because if there's any hole that's going to stand out in your mind, it must be the 18th hole at St. Andrews with a chance to win. Crikey. Well, to be honest, Peter, you know, the thought of winning was not in my mind. I have to be honest, because I was, you've got to remember, let me remind myself. I'm on 18 and the leaders are on about 11. I kind of know where I am. I'm probably, I don't know, you'd have to look. I'm five under, the leaders are on about nine. So I'm not really thinking about winning it. I'm just thinking about, you know, making a birdie up 18, that's all, because it's a relatively easy hole, even even when you're playing the 72nd hole of an Open Championship, uh, doing quite well. 
so the 18th, basically, all, all you do there is you just... And the wind is down off the left. So I'm okay. aiming at the clock. That's the line <laughs> for me. At the clock, head down, make the same swing, whoosh. And I had a lovely tee shot. It got a nice little skip and a bounce, and it went sort of just short front left of uh, 18. I'm about 40 yards. I've got to go a little bit down the Swilkin Valley. And I think I've got to leave it below the hole. And it had a lovely putt to about six foot. And uh, I've said it before in earlier, in earlier you know, comments. It, it, was, it was in before I'd hit it. It was a bit of a weak putt when I hold it from six foot up the hill. I didn't want to be above the hole like, you know, remnants of Doug Sanders back in the day, like the downhill left to right, because that's a difficult read because it, it, it moves too. It, it, you can't read it. it. just You don't know how mm. it's all pace. And so, yeah, I left it in the right spot below the hole. And then uh, knocked it in, 69, done, done and dusted. Was it a case that you were waiting around to see what the leaders were doing or were you just pretty relaxed? Did you kind of just enjoy the moment or? When I finished, it was it was something I had to do that I'd not done much of, i.e. lots of interviews. Amazing. So I did about, I don't know, a good hour and something on interviews. So by the time I'd finished my interviews, the John Daly, uh, Rocker was coming up the last Wow. So I stood underneath the clock while he duffed his chip, his famous chip, and then hold it. And then I started That's clapping. Brilliant. And then I realised it had probably cost me about 30 grand. <laughs> <laughs> kind of clapping, slow clap, put clapping, your hands went, in your pockets. Why am I clapping? Like... Why am I clapping? I'd have finished second. <laughs> I think, I don't know. I mean, that just being there, because that's obviously like from that open apart from your uh, stellar display of putting that's what like everyone remembers isn't it that yes. rocker putt so <laughs> i mean to be to be to be there for a moment in history i mean it probably cost you about 20 grand but it, what a great memory that's no, amazing nice. yeah yeah <laughs> you, you can't you can't you can't buy those types of memories steve that's what you got to no, be looking at no you can't you can't and i'm, I'm actually got many years later i put the last four holes on youtube because it's had quite a lot of views, and doing the podcast with Chris, you know, for the for the a year and a half ago was uh, was quite enjoyable. I've had lots of lots of my mates comment on that. They've, uh, you know, people come up to me and that are golfers and oh, I listen to your podcast. It's really funny, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Journeyman Pro, boom, boom, boom. Amazing, brilliant. <laughs> That's so so cool, Steve. What 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 do you like think about when you think of open qualifying? Because I guess you did it again a couple of years later at Troon as well. Well, what sort of positive memories do you get from from that in the sense of qualifying led the way to you having this incredible experience? Well, to be honest, yeah, I mean, the qualifying is a bit different to a tournament, obviously, because you know you've only got two rounds and you know you've got to go low because there's only a few spots. So you've, you've just got to go out all, all guns blazing, really. You've got to just attack. It's a different, it's a different way of a mindset. And now that I've got a bit of confidence in the whole thing, and I wasn't exempt in um, in '97, I had to go to the qualifying. Now, where did I qualify? I can't remember. First holes of par five, out of bounds right, true. Anyway, I ended up <laughs> sounds a bit of a Cinderella story. I ended up winning the qualifying. I think I shot. I don't know what I shot. I think I might have shot nine under. I can't remember. I actually can't remember. I can't remember the name of the golf course. <laughs> so I can't remember the name of it. I'd have to Google it. Steve, it's fine. I mean, that that's such a, it's a Tiger Woods approach, that isn't it? You know, where's the first tee? What's the course record? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even care what it's called. I just follow the map it. I just, just, just try to make birdie on every hole. I mean, that's what I'm trying to do. I just try to make birdie on every hole. Just because you've got to go low. Absolutely. And then, you know, 97 was interesting because, and I mentioned, if I may carry on, that I, I said this in my last podcast, uh, I've got a great story about Troon, and I missed the cut, and you'll know why, Peter. So I have, I have the record for the most shots on the shortest par three on the open rotor over the first two rounds. <laughs> now, the, the first time I took, on the, on the eighth, which is clear the postage stamp, I'm two under par, stood on that tee, and I walk off with a seven. So I go, I go from two under to two over. Now, the back nine at Troon is probably mm, on a par with the back nine at Carnoustie. It's probably the this, this second hardest back nine of any open rotor. And it starts to get windy. And I'll tell you how windy it was. I hit driver on 17, which is a par three. And uh, I couldn't reach the fairway on uh, on 18 because it was 236 yards into a 40-mile-an-hour gale. So I was trying to hit him at the, uh, at the walkway path. 
So I shoot 79, not looking great. Anyway, I get to the I get to the postage stamp on the second round, and I'm, I'm missing the cut. Anyway, I walk off with a 10. <laughs> I go over club and I hit it back left, and I'm and I'm and I'm on the bank, and, I, and the ball is elevating me in the rough, and I can't see it. And I've had about three swipes, and I've not hit it. It's just gone lower and lower down, and anyway, I walk off with a 10. So yes, uh, if you ever get a quiz question, I'm uh, 17 shots on a par three, first two rounds. <laughs> I mean, if it if it if it makes you feel any better, I've only played Troon once, and I I I birded the postage stamp. So <laughs> I mean, if, if it makes you feel better, like you've obviously used up all the bad shots when you were there, and I was just lucky, and the golf gods were thought, you know what, we don't need to take another victim here. Well, we'll if, I'd had, uh, if I'd have had that birdie in a bar, I'd probably made the cut. <laughs> <laughs> if I could trade with you, I would. I would. I, I really would. Made the cut. That's yeah. I'd have definitely made the cut. That's sixteen. Yeah, that's ten shots. Uh, yeah, I'd have made the cut. Well, yeah, Steve. Steve, I, I made a par the only time I played it. So if you just take ours, we'll swap you for it. You yeah. know, I'm beginning to hate you two. To, to be honest, Steve, we're both sitting thinking it's, the, it's such an easy hole. <laughs> what, 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 what went wrong? There is a, there's a slight different, gentlemen. There's a slight difference due to the fact that you weren't playing in the open. That's a good nah, point. Nah, <laughs> nah, nah, I, don't, I, I can't see it. I can't see it. I don't believe it. <laughs> there, wasn't, uh, there wasn't like a million people on TV and, and people around the hole. <laughs> going, ooh, ooh, another one. Ooh. <laughs> Just whispering between themselves. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think you can settle with that one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but you'll be up there, won't you? You'll be there, definitely. You'll be there. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Are you there, Peter? Are you up? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm up there. I'll be, I'll be working. I'm gonna, I'm going to go through qualifying as well. So, I mean, obviously, I'll, uh, I'll be playing after listening to all your advice. But if, for whatever reason, um, you know, players like Charles Schwartzler in final qualifying just happen to beat me, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll be up there. I'll, I'll be up there working anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, keep in touch. If I'm there, we'll have to catch up in the pavilion or whatever. Absolutely, absolutely. Brilliant. All right, lovely. So that's it. We'll uh, we'll crack on. And uh... thanks so much, Steve. Appreciate it. Awesome. Cheers, Cheers Steve. Okay. Thanks so much. Have mate. a good rest of the day. See you. Right, right. How do you turn this off? What, what are you doing? <laughs> that cross at the top. I don't know what I'm doing here. Uh, we've got we've we've got you for the rest of the day now, Steve. You, you can't get away. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the cro- where's the cursor gone? I've lost the cursor on me. Uh, <laughs> I'm going. I've gone. Sign out. So that was amazing. Stephen is obviously an incredible character. And I think if you were to have someone get through open qualifying and then someone who is adequately equipped to tell that story, then yeah, Stephen is definitely that guy. It's, it's that's a very good point, especially to finish third in the open as well. <laughs> After having zero form whatsoever, even during like halfway through the qualifying, he had zero form, and uh, to come a week later and to be one shot off winning the open at St Andrews, I mean, that's the stuff of dreams, isn't it? I, and it, it does show. I mean, golf is, you know, obviously Steve is a good player like he was a good player before he kind of got through open qualifying there's no doubt about that but you know every everyone who's played this game for any amount of time will understand that we all go through peaks and troughs and when we're not striking it well and when it feels like we just can't hit a fairway can't hit a green can't do anything and what kind of Steve showed he just found something just found a little thing and then managed to carry that on all the way through open qualifying to the open to finish third. I mean, that is, you know, catching that lightning in a bottle for that few weeks. And then it just goes down in history. It's fantastic. I know. You'd be dining off it forever, wouldn't you? Oh, my God, yeah. 100%. That That is the moment I would just move up to St. Andrews and just like... Yeah, yeah. Just hang out. All you need, You could hang out in every pub every night and never buy a drink. Well, this is what I think if about, you know, the 150th Open. If you won the Open at 150th Open at St. Andrews as a qualifier, yeah, you'd literally, you would never leave St. Andrews, right? You'd be the king of St. Andrews. I, I, I don't know. To be fair, if, if that happened, I don't think you'd probably see me ever again anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's also true. I'm, I'm out. See you.
see you guys. I'll see you. Ne- I'll see you next year. I'll be back for the open next year. Um, so speaking of a Cinderella story, I caught up with our final guest on this podcast, Pete, a player we mentioned last episode, and a player who really epitomises the dream of open qualifying. Now you've you've heard his story before, is that right? Yeah, John Singleton is another one of these incredible stories that you know the open does throw up. Um, someone who, well, I mean, we'll be going into this in a moment, but someone who literally went from not having a full set of clubs to getting all the way through to the open. That is crazy. Like that is such an amazing story. It, yeah, it really is. So um, let's uh, let's listen to that chat now. Thanks, Pete. Yeah, and uh, I'd like to say I'm joined here by John Singleton. John, hi. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Thank you. Not bad. Good. We're going to be talking, I guess, about the 2014 Open Championship at uh, Royal Liverpool. Well, I'm sure we'll get into the uh, nitty gritty of that, but. I guess, John, if you could tell me first, your first memories of the Open Championship. I'm from the Wirral, so um, when I grew up, I was just a member at municipal courses, um, having lessons and things like that. And then the, the earliest memory was going to the Open at Royal True. Um, that's when I really started to get the bug. I think Justin Leonard won it that year. And the winner of the gold medal the champion golfer for the year with a score of 272, Justin Leonard. And just the experience of sort of going there without really understanding what it was about, just sort of got the bug and was like, this is, it's a, you know, it's extremely special sort of to, to be a part of it. Um, even as a spectator and as a kid, I felt that. Your next steps in in your ambitions to become a professional golfer, did you sort of pursue that almost immediately after the Yeah, I mean, it was pretty It was pretty soon after that. I mean, you know, I wasn't particularly good, really. Um, and obviously, when you're around that age, you've got no shortage of people telling you how hard professional golf is, you're never going to make it, blah, blah, blah. Um, luckily enough, I was, you know, I was sort of um, focused on what I wanted. So I just pretty much ignored them people. Um, and then it just sort of, I just worked harder than the people around me and I was slowly getting better um, and just had a good work ethic. And then the opportunity to come up, the opportunity came up to go over to America, um, which somehow I got a scholarship. And that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> um, but the opportunity came over, and, and obviously when I was there, it was it was just solely focused on golf. So it just gave me the opportunity to work even harder in good conditions, and I just got better and better and better. So yeah, and then just things carried on from there. Really, how far away did you live from Royal Liverpool when you were growing up? Um, probably. 10 minutes really 15 minutes max yeah it's not it's not far away from where i live at all um yeah. but it was all you know it, obviously when i was growing up the open was never there so i, I never experienced it being there it was just you know it was just royal liverpool you know as a kid you, you don't really understand the history of it um it was only obviously the year tiger won um i was at, at I was actually in America at the time. And it was just that sort of thing of being unbelievably jealous that, you know, the Open was there and I wasn't there. So after that, I was like, you know, I really want the Open to go back because I really want the opportunity to try and play there. Leading up to 2014, it's pretty, I guess, well documented. Could you talk me through sort of where you're working at the time, your situation, and then what sort of convinced you to qualify because you'd had, I guess, problems with injuries in the build-up, right? Yeah, so um, at the time, I'd, um, I was playing the States doing fine and I um, snapped my cruciate ligaments. Um, so flew back home, had it operated on, um, nine months into recovery, doing fine, getting stronger, snapped the other knee, walked up the stairs. Um, 
So at that stage, couldn't even walk. So it was just that sort of, okay, well, golf's finished. You know, yeah. there's no way I can recover. You know, um, just at that stage, there was no way I'd, I'd play at that sort of level ever again. Um, but, you know, a few years, well, a couple of years later, I got healthy. Um, and then just, you know, I really still had the hunger for it. So, well, obviously during that time, uh, I got a job in a factory, which just not far from my house. And I worked there for about 18 months. Um, just, you know, needed to have some income. They were fantastic. So, you know, they allowed me to to go to qualifying and be really supportive, really supportive, unbelievable people in that place. And um, I used to actually practice in the factory. So I used to make a ball out of sellotape. I used to have a five wood and I'd hit the five wood from one end of the factory to the other and just get told off all the time for doing it. <laughs> but I just did it. And and then once I'd finished work, I'd go straight to the golf course and practice. And I think I think having that sort of balance where I was working made it even more enjoyable when I went to golf to practice. And then I just it was just get, I was getting better and better and better. So in terms of qualifying, regional first for you? Where'd you play? Yeah, so um, I played at Mia first. Um, yeah. Which was great. Obviously, I went in there with um, no expectations at all and just went there to, just to enjoy myself. Um, ended up, I think I shot one under, I think. I think it was. Level one under. Ended up getting into a playoff with about... I swear to God, it must have been about 24 of the players. <laughs> um, yeah, bowed out in the playoff. Didn't think anything of it. It was like, yeah, I've had a good day, played well. You know, didn't think anything of it. At the state, at that at that time, I didn't even know that there was a, like a reserve list for final qualifying. So I had no idea that I was going to play in final qualifying or anything until I got, off, got a phone call from um, Jonathan Trippett's uh, still remember his name and, I'm, and I remember just being in shock and he was like uh, final qualifying in Hillside and I was like thought he's you know some of these haven't been on here <laughs> it's got to be one of the lads anyway you know it wasn't and uh, luckily enough managed to get into Hillside and then and then that's where it all starts to go a bit crazy then Seventeenth. Oh, another one. Jonathan is—he's uh, absolutely great, and speaking to him on this podcast. But in that playoff, I mean, all the all the venues can have some varying degrees of playoffs. There's usually a playoff, but what's it like when you're in a twenty-four man playoff? Because uh, you're going out with different four balls and three balls, aren't you? And you're just waiting for the next groups to come. Yeah, to, to, to be honest, I think, I think at that stage, you've got to take it for what it is. You know, if you think about it, oh, it's a playoff to get into final qualifying, you're just adding, you're adding a, a, quite a lot of pressure to, to, to a situation that doesn't need it. You know, it's, it's there anyway, so you don't need to add anything onto it. And, and I just, I was... You know, I was of the mindset I was going just to enjoy myself. You know, I certainly didn't have any sort of crazy notions that, I, that I'd actually get through anyway. So to get into a playoff, I was like, well, I've done really well. I'm happy with that. You know, it's a good it, it's a good sort of um, building block. Um, and I treated it as such. You know, to be honest, I probably I probably didn't give it the respect it it needed. Which is probably why I bowed out of the, the playoff so early. Um, sure. <laughs> but I was—it just didn't it didn't really bother me at all, to be honest. Um, and then, yeah. But luckily enough, you know, obviously the golfing gods are smiling on me to get through to final, so that was good. In terms of final qualifying, how? I believe you shot seventy-two, sixty-six. Is that right? Sixty-five. Sixty-five. Yeah. Yeah. So. So you shoot your 7-2 in the first round. 
what what are you thinking then to go out under to shoot 65 and then surely the last few holes of that 65 did it ever come occur to your mind where like you know this is this is really on here i could be at the open in a few days i think i i think the thing was was that going into it i'd had a really good sort of practice session with my coach and i'd had a good talk i had a good talk with him in the morning before he even played and and he even says now how calm i was and he actually felt that I was going to make it. He said, you were so calm and we'd had a good session. And in the morning, shooting level par with a triple and a double. Right. So I was like, so Atty said to me, Caddy, I'm just going to smash this course of this afternoon. If, if I've just done that, if I can just keep those big numbers off, I'll play well. And then when I went into the afternoon round, it was like, I think it was just one of them moments where I just sort of just sort of took the handbrake off. I just thought, you know what, let's just go. Let's just play, see what happens. And then I think I was seven or eight under after 10. Wow. And flying. And it wasn't until I got to 16 that I thought... Because at the time, I had no idea what was leading. I had no clue. The only reason I knew was the sheer amount of people that were following me at that stage. You know, obviously playing really well and massively under par. So I thought, well, you know, I've probably got a bit of a chance here. But I was also playing with a guy who'd shot 500 in the morning. Um, so I was like, well, it's, it's probably him more than me. But in the back of my mind, I thought, well, I know I'm beating him, so it's got to be me. <laughs> and then, yeah, and to be honest with you, it was it, it was just a, a sort of catalogue of nervous swings coming in. Um, I, I remember standing on the 17th tee, and, you know, the fairies basically down the left. I just sort of come out of this three-iron. I think I hit a four-iron, whatever it was, and I hit it down the other fairway. And then just like had to hit across, like just basically hacked up this golf hole. <laughs> um, I think I made five. I can't remember. I think I made five. And then 18 was, it was one of them holes where, where you look at it and you think, it's not that hard. You know, especially with, with the weather, the way it was, it was hard. It was runny. So I think I hit iron down, um, iron just short. And then, uh, literally, I'd probably twenty foot, and I left it probably ten foot short. <laughs> so at that stage, I was like, "Well, you know, it is what it is. It'll be fine." Rammed it right in the middle of the, the cup. So at that stage, everyone's like, "Oh, well done, well done." So there wasn't many groups after me. I go into the clubhouse. Everyone's like, "Well done, congratulations." I even had the pints as well, and and for some reason. I never felt comfortable. I just didn't feel like I was there because there were still groups out there. So at the point, and then somebody buried the ninth, Nick Marsh, I think his name is, um, to get into a playoff. So at that stage, there was three of us in and then Nick Marsh had buried nine to get into a playoff. So then I was obviously again going back to another playoff. But this time I took it obviously extremely seriously. Um it was at that moment you think, you know, I could either bow out on the first or I could win it on the first. It's going to change my life forever. So just took myself off to the locker room. Had a moment to myself, just give myself a little pep talk and finish my pints off, which helped. <laughs> I was going to say, you must have been tempted to have a few more. <laughs> I was. Oh, my God, I was. But then, do you know what? You know, Stood in the first tee, and and at no stage during those two holes did I think I'm not going to do it. I just just knew, just knew straight away. As soon as I hit that first tee shot, um, on the first, and then you know again I had to I had to hold probably like a probably like a ten footer on the first to keep it to stay in the playoff, and then we went back down nine, and that, nine's a tricky hole because it's a dog leg left. But you can really like you can take it tight left, and I hit this three iron, but I pulled it. 
and it went miles down there. And I still remember the yardage. It was just in the semi-rough. I had one seven seven to the pin. Pin was on the right. And I just knew my adrenaline was going. So uh, it took, I said to me, Caddy, I was like, I'm just going to miss a three-quarter seven out the middle of the green. Not going to take any chances. One of the players was in a bunker. The other two were miles right. They hit up. They were miles away from the cup. I hit the seven iron. You know, and that's, to, to be honest, of all, of all the shots, even in the open, that was the shot that I was most proud of. Because because that was the shot, no matter what I did in the open, that was the shot that changed my life. That was the shot that I realised I could do it under that sort of pressure. And I hit it to three foot, I think. Um, so at that stage, you know, I was in. You know, basically, I, I just needed the others to not do it. Well, they, they could do it they wanted at that stage it didn't bother me and then um, I was still that close that Nick Marsh had hit out of the bunker onto the green it, he hit a phenomenal bunker shot phenomenal um, and he he hit it to about six foot and I still hadn't putted yet and the other two had putted up to around two three foot Nick Marsh had this par put and he missed so I didn't even get to sink me barely put which, which really bothered me actually I, I always wanted the glory Um <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah you know as soon as he missed that it was that I can't even describe I mean it, it still get it still chokes me up now that, that feeling of you know I'm probably not going to work in the factory anymore <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, um, you know things are going to change rapidly and my god did they change wow yeah but that, and that was my qualifying it's just crazy, crazy. And you did it with some clubs that weren't even your own, is that right? Yeah, did. Well, again, this is another classic screw-up of mine. After regional qualifying, I was putting my clubs in the car and my wedge, well, I think two of my wedges sort of did, was sliding out. And, it, not, and I just basically tried to put my bag in. Anyway, I bent the pair of them. So when I got to final qualifying, I was like, oh, no, I can't use these wedges. They're bent. I'm going to get, you, do you want to allow me to use them? So luckily enough, I found my mate, George Nicholson, his name is, he's a pro now, great guy. So I found him in the morning. I was like, listen, I need to borrow your wedges. Mine are bent. And he, and obviously, you know, there was some banter flying around. A little bit of grief was exchanged. And he met me and he gave me his wedges. And then, yeah, it's just, it's just one of those stories where, you know, the more I think about it, the more sort of, the more ridiculous it got, you know, like, of, of stuff that was going on at that time. It was crazy. By the time I'd left there, I was, I was an emotional wreck. I was a physical wreck because that was the first time since I had my knees and that I'd played two rounds. So my, my legs were dead sore. But I thought, you know, I, I, even on the way home, I thought, when I get in, I'll just have, I'll have a nice glass of red and I'll just chill out. I was just sleeping 20 minutes. <laughs> just flat out to sleep. Just, you know, done. And then, yeah, and then it got... For the next couple of weeks, did you get much sleep after that? Absolutely not. That's what I would expect. None. It was... It, yeah, I mean, that next day, I can't even tell you how crazy it got. Even that next morning when I woke up, I'd had a really good sleep, woke up, and there must have been 140, 150 missed calls from all these, every single news agency, uh, golf magazine, golf manufacturer, clothing, friends, family. And it was just like, where, where, where do I start with that? Like, you know, you know it's, it was just insane and just spent the morning freaking out is, is the best, <laughs> I swear I can put it. It's just trying to organise it is, was just a disaster. That's something that you hear a lot from people who qualify. It's, it's almost like straight into organisation mode because so much gets thrown at you that you wouldn't have expected. You know, things that you wouldn't even anticipate, even if you, in your wildest dreams, they 
coming at you from left, right, centre. Yeah, it's just like that next day, I think I spent more time speaking to people in America than I did my own family. It was it, it, it was that constant sort of, you know, like speaking to the head of TaylorMade um speaking to um MSNBC uh, Fox like all these people and you're like I have no idea who you are <laughs> like not a clue and you have no idea who I am I'm just the guy who's happened to qualify for the open and I, so, so to me I was like well you know there's better players than me qualified why are you speaking to me and then all of a sudden it all it started to sort of come out of Oh, the sky works in a factory, and you know, and then they all started to paint that picture. It wasn't like they didn't fabricate it, but but they made it out to be a really big deal. And I remember speaking to to I think I spoke to Jim Nance after, and I, and I had a conversation with him. It wasn't on the camera. And I said to him, "I was like, you know what's really frustrating?" I was like, "I am actually a good golfer. Like I've been doing this for for years. I'm actually good." And we had a really good laugh about it. And he's like, he's like, yeah, but nobody's got a story. Like, you've got a story, then no one. And then I think I think from there it was it was very much sort of okay, I understand now. <laughs> I hate to say sort of like like inspire people in that sense, but it was sort of quite nice that, you know, that if I could do it, other people could do it. And I never realized that it, it like it never, it never clicked into my head until shots have these conversations with people. Well, absolutely, and that's that's final qualifying, isn't it? That's qualifying for the Open. Yeah, it gives you it gives everybody that chance, regardless of you know tour status or anything. You know, you just come off injuries like yourself, and it is inspiring because that's the dream, isn't it? Anybody can play in the Open Championship, the greatest championship of all. Exactly, you know, um, and I don't think I ever, you know, I never appreciated that aspect to the Open. But then once I was involved in it, you know, you realise why it's the greatest championship in the world. To me, the Open changed my life, but it also sort of helped me in in what I wanted to, to achieve in life and, you know, and and if 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 the open was my pinnacle of my achievements and I never get to do anything else in golf then then I've always got that. I've I've always got it and that's my open. You know, as far as I'm concerned, it's not Rory's open, that's my open. <laughs> my open. You know, and you know, and that's what it did for me. And that's and I and I think that's what other people sort of really appreciated was that that if I can do it and have the opportunity to qualify, then they can have the opportunity to qualify. And you just don't get that all the time. Well, you certainly don't get it obviously in majors now. It's it's you know it's crazy, but it's just it's you know it's just the best championship ever. You mentioned uh, the, the the feelings you got when you turned up there, but I'm gonna share something with you now. I'm gonna share my screen here through the magic of Zoom. Your first tee shot. I've, you know what? I've never seen this. Have you not? Just on the first day. Yeah. Wow. I've never seen this. I've never seen this footage ever. And, and you know what? What was funny? This was, this was the one thing I always wanted. I wanted my first tee shot, and, I, and I've never, I've never got to see it. Back to the first tee, and as uh, they prepare match twenty-three. Is Singleton, ah, John Singleton, the local lad, Peter Ulein, Mark Warren. <laughs> My God, I can actually feel myself. I can feel how I felt there. I'm actually getting choked up. On from England, John Singleton. Great applause for John Singleton, the local man. Came through all the qualifying rounds. And wouldn't it be a complete fairy story if he should do well this week? First of all, it'd be wonderful he plays all four rounds. That's all me... That's all my family on the left, all my friends. Even more wonderful should he win, but they're really uh, fairy stories. Welcome, Mark James. We're just settling and watch this fellow drive. This person coughing here as well. 
Everyone thought it was nerves and it wasn't. Take your time. Oh, which wants to see this? I think his heart will be pumping a bit, Peter. I wouldn't be at all surprised. Watch the ball, keep it smooth, do your best. You can do it. Look good. Right down. Let's hope that's the first of many good ones. <laughs> what are you doing? He's a forklift driver in a local resin factory. 30 years old, second coming. Can you just describe to me how, how that feels to watch that? Oh, job? God. I mean, it's so emotional still. It's it, because I've never seen it. I've never had those sorts of same feelings again where, like, I'm at, I remember walking to the first tee and just being, just sobbing. I've never cried that much ever. Just couldn't control myself. And then when I got onto the tee, the hitting the ball was like the last thing I thought about. Just it just was just the plan was all week to tee the driver down a little bit, just a little fairway finder. But when I got onto the tee, there's rough at the end of the tee. And I thought if I tee this down, I could skull this right into the rough. <laughs> so I was like, right, plan. Just what you want to think, yeah. <laughs> you know, plan goes out of the window. I'm going to tee it up. And even if he hits it miles in the air, at least it's going to go forward, you know. And luckily enough, you know, it's just, yeah. It, 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 was, it was just one of them swings. It was just perfect. Just the perfect timing. And, yeah, I can't believe I've, I've never seen that. I'm so thrilled that I've seen that. It's unbelievable. I guess, John, my last couple of questions here. Can First of all, can you... I mean, I'll ask about future Open qualifiers, but first of all, what you said the Open's changed your life a couple of times. What did it do for you, I guess, from that week and also just moving forward with your golf career? You know, besides the, besides the financial benefits, you know, everyone knows, you know, there's a lot of money in golf. You know, but golf's really expensive to play. You know, it's not it's not a cheap sport. But what it, but what it gave me was was the belief. It was the belief that I that I was. You know, I always knew I was a good player, and but that but that gave me the belief that I that I could play with them. You know, um, for that week, I I was one of them. I. I belonged right next to them, um, and I and I earned that spot through, you know, a lot of hard work, a little bit of luck. Everyone needs a bit of luck, um, but that was the that, that's the biggest thing that 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 week, well, that period of time from regional qualifying all the way through to the Open, it just it just made me believe that I was actually a decent player and that I was good enough to be able to carry this journey on. Now, got a couple of big opens coming up. Got 150th this year yeah. at St Andrews. You got 151st next year at Hoylake. Again, coming back. Yeah, I mean, will you be will you be entering qualifying for both of these? I, I know Jonathan's eagerly awaiting your entry. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, I, you know what? I haven't I haven't entered I haven't entered this year yet, um, and that's just because. Um, Lazy and just haven't bothered entering it yet. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, you know, obviously the chance to play to play Saint Andrews is something that you know I want to give I want to give myself the opportunity to do. I mean, that's like a dream, isn't it? Be you know play at the Open, the home of golf, and then obviously next year is is probably even bigger for me again because it's a home. But you know, again, I. I you know, I sort of go into these things now with, uh, you know, with the belief that that you know that if I play well and I work hard and I get a little bit of luck, then I know I can make it. So I think that's a I think that's a big thing that I take is that I've done it once, so we know I can do it. So I'm just going to keep going now until I get back in again. Incredible. 
Well, thanks so much, John, for joining me to tell your stories. Um, hopefully, we'll see you. Well, it's St Andrews and that Royal Liverpool next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hope so, mate. I hope so. That'd be great. Yeah, that'd, that'd be, be fantastic. Great. Brilliant. Thanks so much, John. <laughs> okay, mate. Here is John Singleton. It's been a tremendous run for him, anyway. Yeah, it's getting there. Lovely way to finish. Well, I think that interview was a perfect way to finish. I was getting quite emotional there. It's just amazing to hear John talk about that. Um, and very inspiring to hear that story. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. It is almost quite emotional because his family all there in the stands and and you know hearing hearing that back for the first time, not having seen himself hit his first tee shot and then seeing it there, um, it's it's really cool just to to get that reaction from him. Yeah, I mean it's an amazing it's an amazing experience for him. So to have those reminders and to have the you know, those memories to be able to literally play back. That must be fantastic because we all, I think there are certain moments that we remember very clearly, um, but with the amount of emotions that must have been going like through his mind at that point, to actually have the ability to listen to, uh, to watch that back and to have such a clear image of it, that's amazing. Absolutely. He shot a great round as well, I think, on the, the Friday. Um, I think he shot two under on the Friday. So around uh, around Hoylake, that's uh, good going. So yeah, it's not easy. No, not at all. Just to shoot under par in an Open Championship, that's uh, that's something you'll tell the grandkids, isn't it? So we've spoken with some of the people who make Open qualifying so special, and now it's time for us to prepare for our own Open qualifying attempts. Fair haven for you, Pete. Yes, I am. I'm getting, I mean, it's it's really, really not that far away now. We're talking about a month. Yeah, I know. It's come around so fast. <laughs> it's ridiculous. How has it come around this quickly? I just don't know. I am, uh, I'm not feeling that prepared for it at the moment, I must admit. Yeah. Uh, I do need to get a hell of a lot of practice in before that point if I'm going to stand a chance. How's, how's your preparation going? Oh, I, feel, um, I feel a bit similar. I can't believe there's only a month to go. Uh, so yeah, I think need a bit more need a bit more preparation. Yeah, a, a bit more practice. But um, I'm going to be playing at Pamuel, so I'm just looking forward to playing that course. To be honest. Um, oh, you're playing at Pamuel, nice. Yeah, so just got to practice the short game, the putting, the long game, the approach play, mm. the mental game, and significantly improve them all. And yeah, should be in with a chance of a top half finish at Rocky. <laughs> hey. As easy, as easy as that. Listen, if you <laughs> if you manage to level up each of those things by about ten percent, like yeah, you'll stand a stand a good chance. I say, yeah, good chance of a top half finish. <laughs> hey, listen, you live in literally the one place where you can walk to a golf course from wherever you are. So it is. Yeah. There's no excuse. There's no excuses, Chris. You're just gonna have to put the time in. <laughs> yeah. What what other pre- what other preparations are you gonna be doing? You got tournaments coming up, Pete. Yeah. So we've got a full full kind of draft of events to play in this year. I've played in probably about six or seven so far this year. I've been very consistent. Uh, well, fortunately, it's been consistently not quite good enough to do anything. Uh, right. So I'm <laughs> I'm very much shooting anywhere between five over and level par at the moment. So I need to figure out why I can't quite get under par. And then I'm done. So I just need to improve my my driving, general long game, irons, wedges, chipping, bunker play, putting, mental game. Yeah. And then I've got a chance as well. Yeah. Oh cool. So it sounds like we're both nearly there. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like it's it's just around the corner. Yeah. Well, I wish you the best of luck, Pete, and uh be rooting for you uh during during the week and during the day. Yeah, thanks. It's going to be good. I'm just generally looking forward to the whole experience again and just trying to, yeah, just trying to give it everything. And that kind of just about wraps up this podcast. So thank you 
so much for listening everybody and really hope you enjoyed it uh, and remember to subscribe to the open podcast for the rest of the season coming up loads of amazing content is going to be dropping um, from the open as we build up to the 150th uh, you can also follow regional qualifying through the live blog on the open.com on june the 20th and final qualifying on june 28th as well as looking out for a brand new series of the road to the open i have seen who is going to be on as guest this year and it is an amazing lineup so thank you so much everybody thank you chris and we will see you next time This has been an original audio production from The Open.